1: The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. You're listening to the Bleacher Connection, a part of the Belly Up Sports Network.
0: Here are your hosts, Ken and Trevor. Welcome to the show, everyone. Trevor, how are you doing today?
1: Well, I just got some coffee that went down the wrong tube, I think, as we're recording here this morning. <laughs> so uh
0: off to a banging uh, start. Yeah,
1: off to a banging start here. Apologies if uh, my voice is a little uh <clears throat> raspy to start. Um can I'm doing good. Doing good. Uh daughter had her first uh, figure skating competition of the year last year in Red Deer, braved the uh very very icy roads around uh, where I live. It was treacherous driving. Uh, we got absolutely hammered with a snowstorm on Friday uh, afternoon, and uh, yeah, it was it was a fun drive. But you know, it was awesome to get up there. My daughter loves figure skating. Get on the ice. She's kind of in her element, and it was really neat to see how much she progressed from last year to this year. And very very impressed with her. Very happy. I know she she breathes, eats, lives, figure skating, and it's it was just fun. It was really good. Nice, nice. Always good. Yourself.
0: Uh it's been it's been a busy weekend. Uh, you know, did the old reg, semi regular chore things, ran bottles back, bought food for the animals, and then came back and cleaned the basement, and reorganized that again to get things in and out of there and ready for the the baby, <laughs> and then. Uh, did some painting where I needed to get some touch-ups done, and then uh surprised the wife. We got a, a decal for the baby's room. I, I bought it for Christmas as a as a Santa gift. She really wanted it, so a wall deckle and it's uh our our baby room is gonna be Star Wars slash Harry Potter themed. So it's a it's a decal that combines the two, and I surprised her and had that up on the wall, and got the old happy tears when she walked into the room and saw it, and uh, so that was good and yeah after this gonna do more more prep work and uh more more things to do
1: I, I guess my biggest question is what did you screw up on earlier in the week that caused you to do that
0: <laughs> uh n- nothing it's the uh it's the realization that uh our due date is just let me double check that is uh about 70 some odd 73 days so it's the old uh lots of lots of shit to do and diminishing time to do it in so there's uh yeah the the list of things that needs to get done is is still large but made a list on friday and so far in in one day managed to knock out everything but two things so what's left is putting up a couple shelves one in the the baby's room one in the podcast room because i'm going to be packing up all my sports memorabilia repurposing that um Shelving unit, so I'm gonna put a shelf up in here that I can put some of my sports stuff up and still have it out. So,
1: well, as long as you're not putting a uh, change table on your podcast uh, computer right there in front of me, so I have to watch you change some shitty diapers while we're recording, <laughs> then all's good.
0: <laughs> you never know. We'll see. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just make sure you get the hands up for the you know, the, the protection of the, yeah. the splash. The splash zone we'll call it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, nothing like being on camera in the danger zone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then you know what next weekend uh we'll get to hang out and actually be together. So it uh having the, the baby shower one of the baby showers next weekend. So good to see everyone and have some fun.
1: Yeah very much looking forward to making it up to your neck of the woods next weekend. Um, I, I, we haven't been up there in a while. And so I know my kids are super excited to get to, uh, get to see the pets. They're, they're very much <laughs> looking forward to seeing if Hissy reacts well. For those that don't know, Ken has a cat that called Toby. Um, my kids refer to it as Hissy. Uh, not exactly, not exactly the friendliest of cats to, uh, young kids. I'm, very interested to see how that plays out with the baby coming in (laughs) i I
0: will say over the last you know six seven months he has really been super friendly super cuddly and like just literally wants to be either on my wife's belly like actually it it was funny she was on the couch earlier before we came up here to to record and uh toby was on her stomach and now it's kind of every time I was talking to to the wife or to to the baby, uh, it was kicking, and it actually like kicked Toby off because he got, he was laying right where it was kicking, and he's like, "What the hell is this?" And Toby's pre planning but... his attack. He's yeah. He's, he's getting ready. <laughs> yeah, he's he's actually really calmed down and been really really good. So we'll we'll see. Uh, I'm sure it. I'm uh, hopefully he'll he'll change, but it's it's been good so far. Yeah, and Roxy, Roxy'll just love to see everyone.
1: Yeah, yeah, Roxy will uh, be all over us the minute we walk in the door. So the yeah. the the kiddos will love getting to take her out for some strolls as long as it's not minus thirty, like it is right now. Then. what's a
0: cold one today?
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> she's a cold one.
0: Yeah, yeah, but no, things are good. It's a, a lot of exciting times getting to see some people, and can't wait. Absolutely. But, uh, we, we got some, some sports to cover off here, Trevor. So why don't we start with Are You Kidding Me? Are You Kidding Me is brought to you by Manscape. Go to Manscaped, manscaped.com and use the code BELLYUPFANTASY for 20% off. Trevor, we got some things to cover off and Are You Kidding Me before we get to around the board. So why don't you start us off?
1: Yeah, you bet. Uh, in, in the world of the NHL, it's quite often known that if you score an empty net goal, that kind of seals the deal for a victory and that you're going to go on and win the game, unless you're the San Jose Sharks. Because apparently, it's still up for grabs, even if you've scored that uh, late empty net goal to go up by two. What am I referring to? Well, earlier this week, the uh, San Jose Sharks scored a goal at 18.08 of the third period, so only 152 left in the game to go up 4-2 on the Carolina Hurricanes. Not more than 15 seconds later did that empty net goal get erased, And Carolina clawed to within one goal. Carolina further went on to tie the game with 12 seconds left. And to make matters worse, 55 seconds into overtime, Carolina scores to win the game. This has only happened twice in NHL history where a team has scored an empty net goal and gone on to lose the game. Both times it's been the San Jose Sharks. Are you kidding me? How like how is this even possible? Like a two-goal lead with a minute 37 seconds left. Pretty much in the span of two minutes and 32 seconds, San Jose gave up three goals to lose the game. Now, let's be fair, San Jose sucks. Like they're terrible. They their defending is absolutely horrific. They have a Norris candidate defender in Eric Carlson, who I don't think knows what the term defense means on their blue line in the defense score. Are we really that surprised that it's the San Jose Sharks? I guess not, but normally when you score an empty net winning goal or an empty net goal, you typically go on to get the two points in that game. Oh, I don't know, San Jose. You got some. You've already had a couple of dark years. Yeah, got more coming. This isn't changing anytime soon. <laughs> really, San Jose? I
0: I saw that. I just saw someone put it. I was on Twitter that you know San Jose, or that happened. And as soon as I saw it with San Jose, I'm like, yeah, that that tracks. I didn't even bother with reading what happened. I'm like, no, that, it's San Jose. It checks like, out. It, it checks <laughs> like there, there's no need to. Fact check this. Like, you don't need to put any much time into it. It's San Jose. Like, yeah, everyone's up in arms. How great of a season Eric Carlson's having. This team is minus 39. They blew, as you just said, a two-goal lead in uh, a minute 52 or whatever it was. And then to lose in overtime in the first minute. Yeah, I was not surprised by this. And, and, I mean, really, can you say you have a Norris candidate trophy when your team's 15, 25, 11? And you have a negative 39 goal differential. I don't think so. I don't care. Like, you're not making that team better. Like, I know they're individual awards, but how how that person affects the team should come into play as well, right? Like, an MVP, sure, it could be Connor McDavid, but if the, the Edmonton Oilers are 25 points out of a playoff position, is he really an MVP? He's, right, like, yeah, he's a great player, and I'm going to take McDavid out. Of this take any situation, you know, Jim Jones on the, you know, Kalamazoo Wings. If you have 200 points and your team still dead last, are you really? Are you really moving the needle? No. So I think that when it comes to when you talk about those awards, there should be some factoring in of how the team is actually doing. If you're not moving the needle, who cares, right? That's it's tough, and the San Jose Sharks don't move any needles. you yeah, know. the only yeah, way they're... that.
1: They're 20 points out of a playoff spot. It's lights out for them this season, but yeah. I'll, and next, and I would assume next season as well. Like they might as well be mathematic, mathematically eliminated for next season. I don't see this getting any better anytime soon. I just think it's crazy that twice within two, three years, they've done this. Given yeah. up, you know, it's just, wow. It's such that- a proud franchise. They were so good for so long. Never won anything, though. Got to a one Stanley Cup final. Never won anything with that team, you know, the Thornton Marlowe Sharks. It's just fallen off a cliff, and uh, it's dark times in San Jose.
0: And it's going to get darker because they're talking about about trading away Timo Meyer and others, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. And you don't got to look too far to see another California Mm -hmm. team that was good and is on very dark times, and that's in Anaheim. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's ugly in California a little bit. But yeah, I, that's a big. Are you kidding me? The fact that that wasn't the first time is insane. The fact that it was the second time and it was the same team is even worse.
1: Exactly, exactly. You, we can yeah. let it. We can let it ride once it happens. I guess. It, well, it doesn't. But it, yeah. <laughs> I could see how it could happen, but to the same team twice? I Are you kidding me? I had to. I couldn't, I couldn't fact pass that, up this chance.
0: You look at how long the NHL has been around, and you look at how long the pulling of the goalies happened, and the fact it's only happened twice, it shouldn't happen at all. Right? Like, it, play some defense, guys. Like it, it's, it shouldn't be that hard, but apparently it is. Um, yeah, it, it's just crazy. Well, Trevor, I'm going to move us in a different direction and I'm going to take us to the hardwood here. And there was a game not too long ago, a home game for the Lakers versus my Memphis Grizzlies. And it didn't end well for the, the Grizzlies, my Grizzlies. It uh, managed to lose by like one point, uh, thanks to a Miss Dylan Brooks second free throw, could have tied it and then ended up uh, losing by one because there was like 1.3 seconds left on the clock and just poor timing at the end. But what really grabbed national attention outside of being a game in LA is that at halftime, Dylan Brooks kind of got into it with Shannon Sharp, who was sitting courtside and it, it took security to hold Shannon Sharp back. It took a lot of people to hold Stephen Adams back of the, uh, of the Grizzlies. And I'm pretty sure if that man wants to get to someone, you're going to need more than 15 people to stop him because it was real cute. The, the little guy trying to stop Steven Adams. And I think Steven Adams just letting him have that win. Um, but it all came because I think Shannon Sharp was jaw jacking at Dylan Brooks and Dylan Brooks gave it back. And we all know that Shannon Sharp was one of the best trash talkers in his day still is in, in football. He, he could talk with the best of them and it it happens. You get that back and forth. And I think that's part, part of the allure of the NBA, but I also think it's a problem with the fans being that close right there. It's great, but you do get these problems and it calmed down and everything. I mean, even John Morant's dad, who is like a usher doppelganger, um, got into it with Shannon Sharp and they hugged it out later on and everything was cool. But what, what I'm going to say, are you kidding me on this? Is one with the NBA and how you have your fans right on top of the players because you can get these problems. You can get someone who gets a little butt hurt over a comment thrown their way if they're, you know, trash talking a player and the player gives it back. But also, how did Shannon Sharp stay in the game outside of being friends with the bus family who owns the team? How did he stay there after engaging with the player, but also being on the court? He stepped onto the court. Yes, play was stopped. It was halftime, almost halftime, whatever. But he entered the field to play as a civilian, not a Laker employee, not as a crypto.com, whatever hell center it's called now, employee, but as a fan. Now, I give Shannon Sharp credit. He went on, his show the next day and and apologize for his actions and apologize to everyone and how it all went down and, you know, everything was good after. But just to me, and, and I think even Dylan Brooks called it out too, is like, how is he still at the game? Any other fan is getting kicked out. So to the Lakers, to crypto.com, like, are you kidding me? How does he stay? Because you're setting a precedent now that other fans see that, hey, I can talk shit. I can get on the court. LeBron's kicked fans out, and I know LeBron got fans kicked out for the right reason because they said some pretty nasty things about his son, that I'm not going to repeat because you don't wish that on someone's kids. And he had them kicked out, rightfully so. That's part of the thing is you have your fans right there. You know, if LeBron can have people kicked out for what they say, then the the team and the arena should kick people out for stepping on the court. That's a bad precedent because we're going to see someone get. In a fist fight with a again, is we're gonna have another malice at the palace if it doesn't get squashed right away.
1: Well, hell, wasn't it? Was it Job ja who was able to get a a, uh, not this, the uh, mascot kicked out? And he, the mascot was the only fan at the game. Was, <laughs> was that Job ja who did that?
0: <laughs> I don't know. Uh, was that in the uh, bubble one? Yeah, the it was in the season? bubble.
1: I remember, it was, it was against the Raptors and the. The Raptors uh mascot was like throwing no, no, a sign no. around and uh that was um what's that?
0: Uh Phoenix Booker, Dylan uh, or sorry, Yeah, Booker. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So hey, they, they can get whoever the hell they want kicked out of games, I guess, even if they're the only fans in the building. Th- this is not unprecedented though in the NBA, because let's look at my Toronto Raptors. They pretty much have Drake as an honorary coach who's allowed to make his way onto the sidelines and interact with players. Hell, even during the NBA Finals, he's allowed to do this. Like, It's, it's a different league, the NBA. It, it they, got really around, is that, they
0: made him an employee, so there's they, a little bit of a... He sits in between the, sure. the time store ventures, but again, that's the problem is you, you have him right there in a spot he probably shouldn't be.
1: You've got Jack Nicholson in the heyday of the Lakers, like fully engaging with like just because you're a, a movie star or celebrity doesn't you shouldn't have this access to the players and be able to go up and talk to them. Like I'd love to be sitting at the at the Saddledome in Calgary and you know venture my way onto the ice next uh, to someone and be like, hey, you know, can you cut that out? Like that's pretty much what the NBA is allowing. Like,
0: yeah, Spike Lee <laughs> you in don't New York. See,
1: exactly i I was just going to mention spike lee like no other league you don't get this in the nfl like they penalize people on the sidelines and kick them out for interacting with the players and there's like a thousand people on the sidelines of an nfl game it's it's odd now to be fair to shannon sharp if I had to work with Skip Bayless every day, I'd have pent-up rage as well. <laughs> yeah. That I exactly. need to find an outlet for. So I I gotta give him a little bit of uh, a break here because he works with an asshole every day and and I can imagine he just sometimes needs to let it out.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like I like Shannon Sharp and I I give him credit because I think he's he's honest, he's real. Um and he like, he he owned it afterwards, and he said he he acted out of out of place, and you know everything was done and fine at the end of the game. But I will say, you know, the guy looks like he could pad up to today and get back into one of these championship games that's happening in the NFL. Uh, the man the man's just a beast, and if you know he and Steven Adams had actually got at each other, it would probably be a pretty fair fight. But uh, yeah, I was just a little it was odd and. The fact that he remained in the game, I think that's uh, the 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 ownership friendship uh, benefits yeah, there. I so. would
1: I would think so.
0: Now yeah.
1: here is another angle on it. I am just impressed that Shannon Sharp got on air and apologized. Maybe someone else on his show can take a cue and apologize oh. for stupid shit that you say. Like, oh, maybe.
0: Sorry, this Skip Bayless thing has thrown me on another. I I forgot about this. <laughs> This is another – we'll throw it in because we're talking about him right now, but I'm going to add this to my – are you kidding me? After the Cowboys got eliminated in the playoffs, Skip Bayless put out one of the cringiest videos I've seen.
1: Oh, recently,
0: Jack! <laughs> where he's not being an asshole, but he's just being like, dude, no. He comes like stomping down the hallway into his kitchen, holding a, a – you know, white cowboys jersey and it's a Prescott one. He 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 shows it up to show that it's a pre- Prescott one and he awkwardly bats it into a ball and then angrily, awkwardly throws it in the garbage and then does a stupid stomp out walk and like, oh dude. Damn here like,
1: misses the garbage yeah, <laughs>
0: from like a foot away. <laughs> and it was just like, man, come on, like you are the most cringe really person. And you know, five seconds after it stopped recording, he took that jersey out and hung it up. So, yeah, it was uh just adding to the yeah, skip page. Cringew-
1: it was cringeworthy. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ken, yeah. why don't you follow up? Let, let's go to baseball for an next start. Are you kidding me? This is kind of a joint one. Can tee it up.
0: Yeah, we, we've gone from the rink to the hardwood. Now we're out to the diamond. Roger Center is getting a facelift this offseason, and we're getting a new outfield seating, new bullpens the one thing that we're also getting is new outfield dimensions. And the, the Are You Kidding Me comes into it because, uh Blue Jays, you've opened us up to all the criticism that we've been throwing at the Yankees. Um, and the reason being is the, the, the diamond's getting a little smaller. It's feeling the uh, inflation cut. You're, you're paying more for less. Well, the left field... Left field and right field lines are staying the same at 328, but the walls are getting higher. In left field, previously the wall was 10 feet high. It's going to be 14.4. In right field, it was 10 feet. It's going to be 12.7 now. So no change to the lines. Okay, fine. Left center was 375 feet. It's now 368. The wall was 10 feet going to 11.2. Big change here. Right center. 375 to 359 with the wall height change of 10 feet to 144. Center field is uh, dead away staying at 400. It's still it's going to be a shorter fence though at only eight feet as opposed to 10 so don't ha- you know maybe if you even hit a 410 foot line drive you got a better chance to go straight away Center but the dimensions are changing and I just don't Want to hear it from the Yankee fans? Because yeah, their right field porch is a little different than ours. But man, do we crap on Yankee Stadium for being a little league ballpark? And now we've shortened ours up ourselves.
1: Well, let's let's put this into perspective, though. Yankee Stadium, what's that one ninety nine down the line with a two foot wall? Like it's not quite that bad. <laughs> but no, it, it's what three. 318 down the line and, and the wall's like six feet. Like Roger Center is at least, you know, 328 with a 12 foot wall. So it's that's significant. And then, you know, heading out into kind of the right center, uh, Yankee Stadium, it stays pretty shallow for quite a while with that very low fence. At least they're jacking up the height of the fence. So that's gonna cut down on some of the routine fly ball home runs that we see in Yankee Stadium. So I don't think it's quite that. But it's still pretty bad, three fifty-eight <laughs> to a to a power alley. <laughs> like, <laughs> I hope we acquire a couple more uh, power left-handed bats to hit to that power alley because <laughs> that's not far. And uh, you get to Yankee Stadium, and, and like those power alleys are like three ninety-five. So this is quite uh, just in general. It's kind of shrunk in, not quite as bad down the lines but Yankee stadiums gets very spacious in, in the power alleys. Yeah. Not so much at Rogers center. So here's another angle on this that I'm going to take two of your franchise cornerstones are due for hopeful long-term extensions here very soon. Uh, Bo Bichette and Vlad girl jr. Yeah. Maybe you should have pushed the walls out a little bit for the next couple of seasons. You know, let's, Deflate their home run and RBI totals. Let's get them signed long term and then pull the walls in. Like you're looking, Vlad hits rockets to right center all the time. I think you're going to see a lot more of those go over the fence now with these uh, shortened up dimensions, which could inflate his home run total. And it just may cost you more money down the road. Uh, You know, are you kidding me? Whoever's, you know, to making these changes to the Rogers center. Like you just cost the Jays a hundred, million each. Cause you know, Bo and Vlad are, are going to get hefty extensions from inflated numbers. The hell are you thinking?
0: Vlad's going to have 85 home runs at home, 20 on the road. Bichette will have 45 at home, 15 on the road. Yeah. It's going to make for some interesting numbers for sure. So we'll, uh, we'll see Actually, how it goes. I
1: don't, I don't mind it.
0: Like, the only thing, one of the
1: real things I'm actually worried about with Blue Jays games now, especially home games, time of game, length of duration yeah. of the game, like quite possible there's going to be a lot of runs scored at Rogers Center this year. That's going to make the games long, and are you going to have a, a pace of play problem? Are, are viewers going to turn tune out because? And we already see this at with the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees. Like they play their games take longer. Because more runs are scored in their ballparks. Is that going to become an issue? Very possible. Like, you could be looking at three and a half, four-hour games on the routine at Rogers Center strictly because there's going to be a shit ton of runs scored in that ballpark this year.
0: Yeah. It'll be well, exciting, but... Oh, yes. Yeah. Hopefully, Kiermaier, Springer, and uh, Varsho are all learning how to climb walls right now because there isn't going to be any robbing of a home run. It's uh, they have to center, do a lot though? of climbing. Yeah, but they they still got to climb those other fences at some point potentially. It's uh, I mean, and you and you might see some saved home runs because that extra couple feet, four feet at, on the fence, you know, some of them might have squeaked over before. Well, won't won't leave the park. So we'll we'll see. But the shorter fences make it. It's easier. still
1: going to go for a double off the wall though, and yeah. that's still probably going to score runs. That, that to me, it's going back to the pace of play thing you're that whether it's a home run or a double off the wall it's still going to take a lot of extra time and just the shortened in dimensions I think are going to cause that
0: oh yeah it'll be interesting I, I'm really interested to see the final renovation how it all looks and hopefully one day get out there to uh see some games
1: yeah I'm hoping to get to see it in person next year I've, I've actually never been to Rogers Center as it currently resided up until this offseason so i'm very excited to see what it looks like i'm not gonna have a basis for comparison other than what i saw on tv but definitely excited to get out there for a ball game this summer
0: they are fun that's for sure been to a few myself but
1: love going to live love live baseball just love it
0: yeah well that's our are you kidding me for the week you know let us what you know let uh, let me try that. try that again let us know what you think (laughs) wow (laughs) Not enough coffee today, man. Let us know what you think. Uh, Trevor's at the BleachCon one. I'm at the BleachCon two on Twitter. Uh, are the Sharks, really that bad? The answer is yes. Uh, what yes. do you think about the, the fans being on top of the players in the NBA? And is the new dimension going to be a problem for the Jays and possibly fans? Let us know. But Trevor, we're going to go around the boards here. We're coming up on the All Star break. So it's time to look at some, some of the stories around the league and also how bad have some, have some of our predictions been lately or from the beginning of the season. So why don't you, <laughs> why don't you start us off with uh, where you want to go with this?
1: Well, as you just mentioned, it's it's the all-star break in the NHL, kind of the unofficial halfway point, though we're more than halfway through the season. It's kind of a reflection point where a lot of teams can kind of look at what are we, who are we, are we contenders, are we pretenders? So that's kind of the whole purpose of this, Ken, and I just want to talk about some of the storylines around the NHL, who's disappointed, who hasn't, and where do I want to start? I'm going to start with my local team. And this has got to be one of the biggest disappointments in the NHL, and that's got to be Jonathan Huberto. I haven't minded the way he's played. His production is way, way, way down this year. Coming off Florida last year, he was a 30-goal scorer, 115-point player. With the Calgary Flames this year, he's going to be a 20-goal scorer, 60-70-point to 70 point producer. Now, to be fair, in the last 20-ish games, he's been closer to an 80-point producer. But that's still significantly down. And it's hurting the Calgary Flames. I don't think it's to their detriment. Like, I still think this could be a playoff team. But Jonathan Huberto has definitely got to be one of the biggest disappointments. The, the flashiness isn't there that, you know, we expected to see. And to be fair, the quality of player he's playing with may not have been as high as, you know, he's not getting to play with Barkoff. You know, he's been playing with Kadri, who's a good player, but he's not offensively dynamic. And he spent time with, like, a rotating wingers, you know, including Milan and Lucic, who seemed to have got some of the most production out of them, weirdly enough. I, I have seen flashes of, of him becoming better, which I'm very optimistic. I'm actually really looking forward to what I see in the 2023-2024 Flames with Jonathan Huberto. It might just take a season to get used to it, but as of right now, definitely one of the biggest disappointments.
0: Well, and here's looking at the last five where you had three games against three good teams and two games against two very bad teams. And
1: we won all the good teams and
0: <laughs> you got weird. shit kicked by Chicago and lost no an tea to Columbus or no, sorry, you beat Columbus in overtime, but yeah. Here's Huberto's numbers in those games. Two points, both goals. Minus Why three. Empty I didn't, yeah, that's it. Makes it even worse. It's really one goal. They count that, you know, I mean, just no impact, had no power play goals, no shorthanded goals. His shot total in a game was never more than four. And he's averaging. Sixteen minutes a game. And at this point in the season, I, I'm in agreement with you that it is disappointing because he was that player in Florida for so long. The question then comes: Is is this what Jonathan Huberto is without Barkov and the others that he had in Florida, and can he get there? Because the Chicago game, he was minus two. And against Colorado, he his only stats is minus two and one shot in twenty three shifts. At some point, you gotta wonder if yeah. I, I don't want to say this. Is this Huberto, or is this Huberto okay. under Sutter? Because this year, sure he's making five something or whatever it is. You're paying him ten and a half next year. And to put up the type of numbers that he is this season, thirty-three points in forty-seven games, ten goals, and he's only—he's an even player. That's not good enough for ten and a half million dollars.
1: No, it's not. It's it's very concerning. That's why I wanted to bring it up. I, I, I don't think he's falling off a cliff. I. There's definitely an adjustment period. He's been playing better. I don't think we'll ever see the hundred and fifteen points again. But if he can. For me, he needs to be 80 to 90 points. If he's making 10 and a half million, he needs to be 80 to 90 points on the regular. So I'm a little concerned is he going to get there? Now, he's not necessarily a detriment on the ice. Like, he's still his, his for the analytics crowd, and there's tons of them in Calgary, his analytics actually aren't that poor. He's, you know, his high danger chances, of course, whatever, is, is okay. But Okay, he's not good enough for $10.5 million. That That's what I'm worried about moving forward. Do, is this the end of it for Huberto? Is he just a mediocre player? No, I don't think he is at all. Do I want to see him play with Elias Lindholm again? Yes, yes, I do. Elias Lindholm is a proven 40-year-old scorer with you know great wingers on his line. Even Lindholm's dropped, but he's still a great player. I'd love to see those two reconnect on a line again. Give that a shot. But to say I'm not worried about what the next eight years might look like if Jonathan Hubertos is, is a lie. And that's kind of why I want to start with him as kind of one of my biggest disappointments because he's for my local team, he's coming with a hefty price tag after this year and better get it sorted out.
0: So here's something. Now, just comparison for player for player because that's essentially it was the trade. Matthew Kachuk, in 49 games this season, has 66 points. He's plus 11, and if you take his 66 points, if he didn't play another game this season, compared to his years in Calgary, that's his second highest point output. So let me ask the question, because Kachuk, under Sutter, and other and others too there, was a 48, a 49, a 77, a 61, 43. In a shortened season, and then a hundred and four point player. Now that was in a I'm coming up on a contract year type thing. Same with Goudreau as well. They both and Lindholm. They all put up all those points. Is Sutter's system a style that does not allow these offensively talented players to necessarily shine?
1: No, not at all. And Serve as a contract year, Goudreau and Kachuk and lin Homer, private examples of it last year. You had the best line in the NHL resided under Daryl Sutter and the Calgary Flames. The
0: but for one year, you though,
1: had, yeah, sure. Andrew Mangiaponti scored 35 goals last year playing under Daryl Sutter. You know, Michael Backlund had a career high in points last year playing under Daryl Sutter. Now, is that a byproduct of how good the team was? Yeah, I think it, it very much was, but. In no way can you say Daryl Sutter's brand of hockey isn't conducive to still scoring goals. The Calgary Flames this year to last year have scored almost the exact same amount of goals. So I I don't I don't buy into that narrative at all. I think you can any good player. It, now is there an adjustment period of learning how to play for Daryl Sutter? Yes, I do subscribe to that. But Nazem Kadri. Had a career high last year, in Colorado. Nazim Kadri's on pace to score more goals than he did last year. Have the same amount of points. So is Daryl Sutter hurting his production? No. It's I, – I don't buy into that narrative one bit.
0: Yeah, well, it was just a – because you look at what those guys did before the career years last year, right? Mm-hmm. And you look at what Kachuk's doing. So is it more that Huberto's success was a Florida success? Because – I
1: will buy could, into
0: that. Kachuk's going to probably be over one hundred four points this year again, which he had last year. So is it more of the Florida effect, and who like who he's getting to play with? Because I mean that Kachuk and Goudreau played a lot together, you know, previous to the hundred plus point seasons. So where was that before last year?
1: Actually, Kachuk and Goudreau didn't play together much the last year was the first year they really played together on at any point in time and boom, they scored a ton. And Kachuk, I think Kachuk's getting the benefit of playing that wide open style that Jonathan Huberto got to play. It's a little more run and gun in Florida. And I think Kachuk's just continuing on with what I think he most likely is now. And that's a, you know, 80, 90, hundred point player. I, I think that's what Matthew Kachuk is but he's definitely getting the benefit of playing a wide open style of hockey. Like that's what, you know, Florida has been known to do that. And it definitely benefited Jonathan Huberto. And, but I do think Jonathan Huberto will have more production as he gets more familiar and comfortable with the system, that Calgary plays.
0: Yeah. I mean, 50 games in, you'd like to probably see a bump in, in how that's going, but um, oh, it's yeah. going to take I'd 82. I'd like to see
1: him at the 50. Yeah. I'd like him to see be at 50, 60 points right now, but he's not.
0: Yeah. He's yeah, not. it's a, it's interesting in Calgary because they got you got good players, but when you look at the wild card standings, they are like are they still currently on the outside looking in?
1: Yeah, they're yeah. Uh, pretty much a point out.
0: Well, based on games played only, they're tied with uh Colorado at 57 points, but Colorado's got two games in hand. So yeah, based on the, yeah. the percentage-wise, Colorado's in and you're, you're got a half percent chance at Bedard. So I'm sure some of your fan base is saying lose, lose.
1: Yeah. You know what? Let's, let's talk about some of our, our disappointments just in general for teams. And i am kind of buttoning in ahead of you, but the reason I want to right now is because I think the calendar flames have to be right there. And it's kind of one of the bigger disappointments in the league this year. People were pegging these guys Stanley Cup contenders yeah. They were picking them, you know, top one, two in the Pacific division. Now, let's, I'm not saying they're not going to get there. Like they're only, you know, roughly four points back of second in the division, which is where I ranked them. I think that's where you rank them heading into the season. So they're not actually that far behind expectations, but they aren't playing consistent hockey. They aren't playing, you know, the hockey we saw last year that they rammed it down teams' throats night in, night out. They're not playing that hockey.
0: No, yeah, and I you can't lose five one to Chicago either. Yeah, and losing to Chicago—that's the huge. second time. Like that's, that's those that's are the, the games second you gotta time
1: They lost. Yeah. Yep. They they lost two games to Montreal. They lost two games to Chicago. They lost a game to Columbus. Like those are win those games and you're in first place in the Pacific Division. You really, you honestly are.
0: But yeah.
1: Nope. That's they're they're an average team this year, which is why I think they're one of the below expectations teams. Ken, what's a team that's kind of below your expectations?
0: Outside of my now, own, we don't like have to talk Cox. about Vancouver. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, St. Louis to me is a disappointment in that where they're sitting right now. They're they're at 49 points. They are eight points out of a wild card position, and this was a team that you know I had kind of pegged to be second behind Colorado. You know, I mean, even. So Colorado sitting, you know, point wise in a tie with Calgary for the second wild card spot and has been out of the playoffs for a good portion of the season, to me, is also a disappointment. Um, but St. Louis for sure, that is one of them that uh is just like what I mean, you got Bennington, and that's it. Like, you know, after if he's not going, then it's not going to be good and it's not been good for them. So it, uh, St. Louis has definitely been a disappointment. Um, Ottawa for sure. Ottawa has been, uh, real bad, honestly. I had them kind of thinking they'd be pushing for a potential playoff spot and, uh, it's just not happening. So Ottawa to me is probably one of the bigger ones, especially at, out east. The, you know, we were kind of talking beforehand with with Florida, and you brought up Claude Giroux. Like, that's a that was a guy that was brought in to bring in leadership and help get these guys to take the next step, and it's just not happening. So, see, I, I don't
1: I don't find Ottawa that big of a disappointment. Like, they do play in the toughest division in hockey, and they're five hundred in that division but they haven't taken a step forward. Like, let's let's be honest. They're still, they're eight points out of a playoff spot with about six teams they have to jump to get there. They're not making the playoffs. I mentioned to you off air that I thought Drew was a bit of a disappointment. Production-wise, he's still a point-of-game point player, but he hasn't provided that leadership to put them over the top. Or maybe not even put them over the top, make them, you know, get them closer to the playoffs. Like, let's look at Buffalo. Buffalo, as of right now, is one point out of a playoff spot. Ottawa should maybe be there. Like I think, talent wise, Ottawa probably has more talent than Buffalo, but Buffalo seems to be uh, taking that step forward this year. I don't know that Buffalo going to get in, but they're they're on the cusp of where Ottawa believed they were going to be this year and aren't. And Ottawa went and made some significant moves. Cam Talbot might be another one on the big disappointments. He's done nothing in Ottawa. He's not even really the starting goalie. He's been hurt. Like everybody was laughing at that kind of swap of Matt Murray for Cam Talbot, and all of a sudden it's like, well, Toronto's comfortably in a playoff spot with Matt Murray, and Ottawa's comfortably out of a playoff spot with Cam Talbot. So, is it really that big of a, dis- uh, uh, of a disappointment for Toronto? No, I think they actually came out ahead here. That' to be fair, Toronto's a way better team, but <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, I don't know, to me, Ottawa isn't a disappointment because I didn't expect them to be there, but I would, if you were to ask ownership and management, oh yeah, it's been a disappointment.
0: Oh, I, I think you're going to see a new, if it continues to this year, DJ Smith is out, uh, Dorian's going to be out, uh, they, they might wait for new ownership. Apparently it's close, but they might wait for new ownership to come in and clean house because I'm not saying the moves they made were to get them into the playoffs and cup contender, but they made a lot of moves. They brought in a lot of players, Drew, Debrinkit, Talbot. These guys were supposed to be the, the some of the pieces to take that next step. They have a real young team, and maybe it's going to take a few more years of being shit before they get better because you look at new jersey new jersey was not good for a long time they got all these young players they brought in pieces that ottawa kind of mirrored in what they were doing and it, it just isn't working so to me they're a disappointment in the fact that they haven't made any steps in in where they're at right now
1: I think if you were to ask the fan base in Columbus, they would say this is a pretty big disappointment. You went and spent all the money bringing Johnny Goudreau in, one of the most dynamic players in the NHL, and you're pretty much sitting dead last in the NHL. You're last in the Eastern Conference. You're not even remotely sniffing a playoff berth. I would have to imagine the fan base in Columbus is pretty disappointed this year, too, and the team's well below expectations.
0: Yeah, I mean... They brought in Goudreau and Goodbranson. You got Patrick Liney. I, I just... Goodbranson is not a, a needle mover to me. He's no a guy. No. Right? So, really, I... I don't know that they're a disappointment, really, at where they're sitting. I mean, I, I had them finishing third last in that division behind the Islanders in Philadelphia. And, I mean... The Islanders are sixth in the, you know, Philadelphia seventh, and they're uh they're eighth. So I'm not far off on the bottom three. Just need to, you know, Columbus would would have left his other two, it would have been fine. I would have actually had that right, but I got the bottom three right so far in that division. It's just they're just a shitty team. And until they get they got Merz Lincolns and Corpusalo, who really aren't Horrible goaltenders as a tandem that should work.
1: And that's one and that's one of the reasons why I think they are a disappointment is they do have a decent goaltending tandem that's not been good this year. Now, to be fair, there's lots of teams goaltending tandems that have not been good this year. We talked about that a few episodes back, where what is wrong with goaltending in the NHL this year? But I think when you're looking heading into a season. With Goudreau, Liney, can't now. Uh, sorry, I just totally lost my train of Goudreau, A, y- y- you should be better with those goaltending. You know, they've got, you know, they've been hurt on the back end. You know, Wierenski, Zach Wierenski has been out. That's not helping the situation. Sorry, I was going to say Cam Atkinson, what I meant to say, Zach Wierenski I had to get retrain the thoughts there. But they still should be better. They really should with those two in net. And they're a long ways. Now, they're a Connor Bedard from potentially turning it around. And, you know, I'll tell you right now, Goudreau and Bedard on the same line would be quite uh, intriguing. But I just feel like Columbus should have been better. And they've, in my opinion, actually taken a step back.
0: So here's a stat for you. How – we'll play a little um, – Trivia, how many players on the Columbus Blue Jackets have a plus rate rating?
1: Oh, maybe three, maybe four.
0: Well, you're wrong. Not a single one of them. Not a single player in on that team has a plus rating. Uh, guys who've played six games, like Justin Danforth, six games, minus three. Like, none of these guys. Zach Rensky, 13 games, minus six. You know, Johnny Hockey, minus 17. Line A, minus 11. Goudreau has 48 points to line A, and line A, 30. And yet they're, like, it's just horrible. Um, well, sweet, Kent Johnson Johnny is Goudreau minus five. Johnny was plus
1: 60 in Calgary last year.
0: Yeah, like Goudreau is
1: 77 different than where he finished last year in Calgary to this year in Columbus. Yeah. Like that's that's mind boggling.
0: Murs Lincoln's goals against us 4.42. Corpusalo 3.32. You know uh, bad. Eight, eight and nine for Corpusalo, five and fourteen for Merz Lincoln's. This it's, team is those just guys
1: should have been good. That's I can't I can't figure that out.
0: Yeah, like their like,
1: goaltending shouldn't be this bad.
0: Yeah, it, it's mind boggling, but there's a really bad team. Well, we've okay,
1: Ken. We've kind of talked some disappointments. Is there anyone else? Anyone else you want to touch on?
0: Uh, I don't know about disappointments, really. I think there's a lot of players that we could talk forever and on players that aren't performing to what what we think they should be. I mean, let's let's talk some surprises. I mean, for me, I had New Jersey fighting for the playoffs, making it into as a wild card team. New Jersey is still 2 points out um from Carolina. They in one game more, one more game played than Carolina, but they have 68 points. Carolina's got 70. I mean, the Carolina is exactly where I said they would be in that spot. And New Jersey is one hell of a surprise in my opinion, because they have not faltered off of that hot start. They had, they are eight one and one in their last 10 going into this break. Probably one of the hottest teams in the league right now. Tampa's eight and two, but New Jersey, hell of a season.
1: Oh, hundred percent. Biggest surprise has to be new jersey i know i had them fourth fifth sixth in this division i had them comfortably outside of the playoffs we did a show with john east hope and the double digit hockey podcast he actually mentioned new jersey as a dark horse team full credit bang on there on that show i, I expected very little of this team nothing told me that they were going to take such a significant step forward Especially, they play in a really good hockey. They in a really good hockey in a really good division in a really good conference. Like the whole Eastern Conference is just far superior to the Western Conference this year. New Jersey's one of the clubhouse leaders in in the conference. You know, did I see it coming? No, definitely didn't. They've kind of you mentioned it, the Ottawa Senators earlier, trying to take the step forward. New Jersey's taken that step forward with a very similar approach and they look like they could be a team to beat for a really, really, really long time. They've got a lot of young players. They seem to have solidified the goaltending. That was always a big question mark in New Jersey. Uh, Very exciting. They play a good brand of hockey, fast in your face, up-tempo, score lots of goals. They keep the puck out of their net. Just a good team. Uh, bang on new jersey is probably the biggest surprise the only other surprise i might put ahead of them and not the fact that they're a good team just how good they are the boston bruins they they set an nhl record for fastest to 80 points in nhl history this season they did it in like 47 games or something like that they have six six regulation losses in 49 games I think they have one, maybe two. I'm not, I i don't have it in front of me. I think they have one regulation loss at home this year. I think it's like two this now. This team is, is it two now? Okay. It, yeah,
0: they just like, had their second.
1: This team has it all. I said it heading into the year. I thought they were going to be good. I think I had them second in the division, kind of on their last hurrah. Same. Oh, They're, they're smoking it this year, dude this team is, I don't know who's going to take them out of the playoffs. Now, to be fair, they have to come out of a ridiculously hard division. Like they could get the Florida Panthers in round one and then be rewarded with the Tampa Bay lightning in round two, like have fun. But at this point in time, honestly, do you see either Tampa Bay or Florida beating Boston? I don't know that anybody is going to beat them. Like, Father Time I really want to see Boston Carolina. Father Time might beat them. I really want to see Boston Carolina in the Eastern Conference Finals because that would be exciting. You know, it'd be very low scoring. They both know how to button it down, but I think it would be high octane, high tempo, smash mouth in your face. Uh, I want to see Carolina and Boston in the Eastern Conference Finals.
0: Yeah, before I get on to another one a surprise for me, could we also meant like is doing what they're doing without Max Pacioretty. Like he missed the beginning of the season with a, an Achilles problem. And then he just like did he even come back or was he about to come back and had a second one? Like, don't know if he'll yeah, come he back, back ever. Like
1: two games or something like that.
0: But they're doing this one it's without one of their big offseason acquisitions, who, if in the lineup, would be huge for them. Uh now I'm gonna go to the West. Uh, Western Conference here for a couple surprises. I'm kind of gonna be lump them in together. Um first one is Winnipeg. And the other one's Dallas. Yeah. One and two. Dallas is first, Winnipeg I was just second. Go behind there. Three points. To me, Winnipeg was such a shit show in the off season with how everything went down and they they were not good last year. They had some what you could look at and be like Real problems in the locker room potentially, and they're sitting three points out of first with 31 wins, 19 losses, and only one overtime loss. Like that's huge. Like they're and then Dallas didn't have Jason Robertson to start the season, and that guy talk about surprise. Like look what he's doing. He's having a hell of a season. Um, and Jake can con- Jake Andres continued being a, a top flight goaltender for him, and they are. They're doing really well right now, so it's it's crazy that those two teams. I had them both missing the playoffs. I only had Winnipeg in sixth because Arizona and Chicago were in the same division. So it's
1: uh
0: <laughs> it was just it was one of those like, well, I don't think they're going to be as bad as Arizona or, or you know Chicago, so I'll put them in that position. But uh, um, yeah, I'm surprised with what Dallas and Winnipeg are. I
1: am too, actually. I uh, I had I had Dallas making the playoffs. I think I had them third in that division, kind of straddling with Nashville and and kind of fighting for that last spot. I thought Dallas was they were a playoff team last year, playoff team the year before that they were going to carry forward. I didn't expect them to be first in that division. Now, to be fair, we also didn't expect Colorado to have all the injuries and be a playoff bubble team, but. It, there's no scenario where Colorado doesn't make the playoffs, in my opinion. Like, they're going to be there. They're starting to get healthy. I just don't see how they're not. Winnipeg, 100% is, is is surprise. And lo and behold, one of the teams not having issues with goaltending this year is the Winnipeg Jets, as Connor Hellebuck has returned to form, and ta-da, they're comfortably in a playoff spot. Like, there, there's no – that correlation – between the teams that are actually getting okay goaltending and being in a playoff spot is funny how that works, except for Seattle. Like we want to talk surprises. Let's, let's talk to Seattle Kraken. Like they might win this bloody division. We talked about them two weeks ago and I said, book it. They're making the playoffs and nothing they've done since tells me otherwise other than losing to the Calgary Blades.
0: But this team. Who lost to Chicago the night before.
1: Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Like, The odd thing about Seattle, though, is they don't have any high-end scorers. Like, I think their highest point producer is, like, 81st in the NHL. Their goaltending is, like, both their guys are above three goals against average and sub-900 save percentage, yet they're fighting for a division title? Like, what the hell is going on in Seattle this year? This is obscure. Now, here's how they're doing it, folks. They lead the NHL in 20-point players. And that might not seem like a lot. They have 14 of them. And thank you, Sportsnet, for that stat. They have 14 players with 20 or more points. So what they are getting, and they're the third highest scoring team in the league, I believe. What they are getting is balanced production up and down the line. Lines one through four, pairings, you know, first, second, third, deep pair de-pair. They're getting balanced, consistent production. That's why they're where they are. Imagine if one of their goalies actually decides to play like uh, an, an NHL starting goalie. Now I don't think Martin Jones is capable of it. Maybe Grubauer. This team could be scary if they get a goalie on a hot streak come playoff time.
0: Here's an interesting stat for Seattle. They're 29, 15, and five. They are 13, 10, and three at home. That means they are 16, five and two on the road. They are a tough road team to play. So if you can win on the road, you're going to win. You're going to do well. Even if you're only 500 at home, if you can continue to win on the road, you're going to do fine. You're going to do well. Like there are only three games over 500 at, at home, but they are a lot more than that on the road. And that's huge. You got to be able to win on the road. You can't just win at home.
1: And that's what the Seattle Kraken are. Let's take every stat of what you're supposed to be. And the Seattle Kraken are asked backwards to that. They suck at home. They don't have any high-end producers. Their goaltending sucks. And yet they might win a division title. Just obscure the Seattle Kraken. Peculiar, I don't know what to call it. They go against the conventional norm of every single thing that makes an NHL hockey team. And they win. It's, well, it's just odd. Bizarre is the word I'm looking for.
0: Let's take a look at one team. Because we haven't really touched on the Oilers. And I know we like to crap on them right now. They're the first wild, key, wild card team right now. And really, they're only three points out of first. But they're three points out of first. And they're a wild card team. With two of the top players in the NHL. And one that's probably best player in the world. But what they lack is What the Seattle Kraken have, and that's depth scoring. What you said, 14 players that are 20 plus or 20 point players. It, you're looking at the at the Oilers, McDavid has 92 points already. Dry 76, Hyman Nuge both have 60. And after you hit oh, so Barry's got 34, nurse 25, and then you hit 18, 15, 14, 13. that's it you got all your production from a handful of guys if they had that depth scoring like other teams they'd be running away with it like you got to look at how are you not in first place when you after 50 games have a player with 92 points a player with 76 points and two players with 60 and yet you're only three points clear of being out of the playoffs to me, that's mind-boggling.
1: I'm gonna give I'm gonna cut the Oilers a little bit of slack here. They're playing good hockey and have been for the better part of six weeks now. They're they've won, they've had gotten points in nine of their last ten games. They were I'm gonna say a month ago, you know, 10, 12 points out of first place. They're what three points out of first place. The Oilers are trending in the right direction right now are they going to continue on it for the next 30 35 games of the regular season who knows jack campbell's been playing a little bit better in the last couple of weeks uh you know six weeks which kind of coincides with them starting to play better
0: but to me some of those games were against the really bad teams though like you
1: still you have to play every team in the league it doesn't matter it doesn't matter The, the calgary flames Lost five one to Chicago. Edmonton beat them seven three. It doesn't matter. You get to no, play I, every team.
0: No, that's true. But everyone was saying, "Oh, Campbell's back after playing Anaheim and San Jose and those games." It's like those are those were should have been gimme games that you shouldn't be using those as a stepping stone for him being back. And I'm not trying to say the Oilers aren't playing well, but just with what they have in some of their production, how are they not leading this division by so much more? Like, how are they not first? And already running away with it. They they keep talking about, and I've seen some of the l- last few Euler games where they're talking about, they're having that second half resurgence again. Well, why do they always need a second half resurgence to try and hammer it home and get in?
1: Yeah, they've been notoriously slow starters. Even in games, they're slow starters. But I think when all said and done at the end of the season, I'm pretty sure the Oilers are going to win this division. They're only three points back. Uh, they're trending in the right direction. And McDavid's on even another level this this season. Like, I was actually going to bring him up before you brought up the Oilers, and I was going to painfully give the guy some love. McDavid's on a whole other level this year, even for Connor McDavid standards. He's, you know, got 90, 92 points in 50 games. That extrapolates out to close to 160 points over the season. He's like he's just leading in every offensive category. Normally it's Dry right there, and they're very close, not this year. McDavid's like 15 points ahead of, of Leon Dreisidel in points this year. He's got 41 goals. Like he's 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 he might get to 70 goals this season. Like, this is just another level for Connor McDavid. Yeah, plus four. Like, that's a bit of a warning sign to me right there. Yeah. Yeah. 92 uh, 92 points in 50 games and get your plus four. You've been on the ice for 88. Yeah. The the Twitter term is power play merchants for the Edmonton Oilers. They very much are. But hey, special teams is a critical part of the game. But. If the Calgary Flames had a good power play, we'd be in first place, but our power play sucks ass. Connor McDavid, though, like this is unbelievable what he's doing this year. We saw it. It started in the playoffs last year, and it's just continued forward. I guess my question is, is this the best Connor McDavid's ever going to be, or do you think there's even another level – Like. Players typically hit their peak in, you know, 28, 29. McDavid's only 26. Like, is there another level that this guy can get to? Because I sure as the hell hope not. I'm sick and tired yeah. of watching him. <laughs> the highlights of Connor McDavid. And, ah, who cares? Makes me want to vomit. But, well,
0: He can wow, hit that other level when they realign the division. Good. Yeah. Real yeah, get him in the take East take somehow. And uh
1: get him out of my division. Like, I'm already worried that Connor Bedard's gonna end up in my division, too, on top yeah. of Connor McDavid. Like, I gotta give McDavid love. This is unbelievable yeah. what he's doing this year. And I'm worried there is another level.
0: 50% of his points, exactly. 46 points on the power play this year. Right? He's even got a shorthand. He's got two shorthanded points in there as well. It, it's pretty crazy. This team lives and dies, though, on the power play. Nuge, out of 60 points, 32 are on the power play. Tyson Berry is 34, 22 on the power play. He doesn't have – he's only got 12 five-on-five five points. So it's uh it's interesting to see this. This team lives and dies on the power play, and that's their problem in the playoffs sometimes when the whistles get put away. They're five on fl- five play. They don't score as much and they got to fix that piece.
1: These guys, special teams are uh, power play, especially unbelievable. The the two of them, uh, McDavid and all rack up points on the power play. I wish my team did, but you do bring up a really good point in the playoffs. The whistles do get put away a little bit. And are they going to have a problem come playoff time with that? Maybe, maybe not they they're playing better hockey right now mcdavid's on another level this pains me to say this it looks like the oilers might be contenders if they can get even remotely consistent goaltending in the playoffs and and over the next 30 games i do believe they need to make an addition on the back end to get a shutdown defender on this team because they don't have it but they it sounds like they're going to be all in at the trade deadline and maybe try to make a significant acquisition if they do I got uh ah, this team uh ah, might be a contender. I hope they flame out and burn and crash and oh. but well, you players.
0: know, you know if they go out and get a defenseman, shut down defenseman, they're going to get our Eric Carlson because they don't like oh he's got lots of points. He plays defense <laughs> that, that helps us. Plus, he makes way too much money, so I mean, it just goes with nurse as well. <laughs> Yeah, it, yeah, it's an interesting they, season.
1: The Oilers are trending in the right direction. They're trending in the right direction, and I don't like it one bit.
0: No, no. It uh, it sucks, especially living here in Edmonton. It does suck.
1: It does <laughs> suck.
0: <laughs> I get to hear about it Ken, all the time. any other so.
1: surprises? Yeah, yeah. Any other surprises, disappointments you want to touch on that we may have missed?
0: I, I just think – I mean – and I think, I mean, we all know i do not a big fan of his, but we almost missed it. We kind of talked about it before off-air, Trevor. Jack Eichel.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Jack Eichel. Like, what a disappointment. You know, like, this team is still one point out of first place. They've somehow managed to get the goaltending we didn't think they were going to have. But, man, when other guys have gone out, Jack Eichel has become a passenger on that team to the point where Bruce Cassidy called him out, and he has done even worse since getting called out. And I love it because this guy thinks he is just the absolute bee's knees of the NHL, and he is just not good right now. And it's great. I love it. His last five games, he is... Minus four with no points. And we're talking 19 minutes, 15 1.3? minutes. No, he has no points in his last five games.
1: <laughs>
0: and he's averaging 20 minutes of ice time in a game. He, a he, game against Washington on the 21st, no shots in 17 minutes. Five shots in 20 minutes, two shots in 19. Yet two shots in 1540. Saw less time. But he was minus three in that game as well. Hit seven shots uh, just the other night against the Islanders, but nothing to show for it. Um, he has a whopping thirty-four points in thirty-eight games this year. He's a plus-seven, and I would honestly say he's not moving the needle in in Las Vegas right now. And I love it.
1: Well, you, you you're seeing it. Mark Stone's hurt and. Who knows if he's going to be back this year? My guess is he'll miraculously be healthy right around playoff time when those start, and and Vegas will go thirty million over the cap, putting him on LTIR and bring in another superstar player. Just throwing that out there. That's my prediction as to how this plays out. Now, Mark Stone is even high, close to one hundred percent, which is a big if right now. Like that's. This guy just can't stay healthy. But since Mark Stone's gone out, Jack Eichel has kind of fallen off a cliff. Like, go figure. I think he's got one point in his last seven or eight games. You know, that coincides right along with Mark Stone being out. I was moderately disappointed when the Flames didn't acquire Jack Eichel. I'm not so disappointed now. Now, now to be fair, it would have been kind of a Matthew Kachuk for Jack Eichel type trade. Maybe it would have worked out better than you know what's happened with Huberto. But again, I'm not going to write Huberto off. Losing follows Jack Eichel around. It really does. And lo and behold, Mark Stone's out. Vegas is plummeting down the standings. Vegas is only roughly four points clear of missing the playoffs entirely. A month ago, Vegas was 15 points clear of missing the playoffs. This team is kind of on a downward trajectory. Now, I'm not saying they're going to miss the playoffs. They are in danger of it, and that is right down the MO of Jack Eichel. I don't make the playoffs, Jack Eichel. It very well might happen again this year. And you can't tell me that Vegas would have predicted potentially missing the playoffs two seasons of Jack Eichel, two seasons of no playoffs. That's not what they Acquired or thought they were acquiring. Here's a question I wanted to throw at you: Say they do miss the playoffs this year, are they looking to offload Jack Eichel? I think they might be.
0: Yeah, very They're all about the new and shiny, and they don't they don't like losing. They haven't done no. a lot of it, and I don't think ownership is going to stand for it. I I kind of did a bit of a double take here. Who do you think is the top producer on the the Golden Knights right now?
1: Was well, Stevenson?
0: Yeah. Chandler Stevenson has 44 points in 51 games. Stone, 38 and 43. Eichel and Carlson with 34. Riley Smith, 32. Marchessault, 32. This team has producers on it, but their top guy is Chandler Stevenson. Yeah, to be
1: fair, though, Stevenson hasn't missed games, and these other guys have.
0: Yeah, well, true. But it's still, like, neither has Carlson. Carlson, uh, Smith, and, well, Marchessault has missed six. But those guys have all played... 45 plus games and they're not putting up the points like they used to. I wonder if, and I don't wonder, I think he is. I think Jack Eichel is a hindrance to any team he's on and because he's very me, 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 and he wants the, he wants all the smoke to be on him. And it's just, yeah, he's not a good teammate in my opinion.
1: I'm not going to be quite that bold. He's he's a he's still got a lot of skill, but there's definitely something there because look at Buffalo. Buffalo all of a sudden has played a lot better hockey since he's gone. Buffalo might make the playoffs this year, playing in the by far most difficult division in hockey. There's got to be a little bit of smoke to that fire right now with Jack Eichel and and. If they do miss the playoffs, I think you're going to potentially see some significant changes in Vegas because you're right. They have no loyalty to any of their players. They always want the brightest, shiniest toy. And maybe Jack Eichel isn't the brightest, shiniest toy anymore, especially if they miss the playoffs this year. Like that That's a storyline to watch, I think, heading into the offseason is the Vegas Golden Knights if they do miss the playoffs.
0: Well, who's going to take that contract?
1: Who, who knows? Who knows? It might not be Jack Eichel, but... Are they all of a sudden looking at Alex Petrangelo and going, eh, maybe we got to get rid of that contract? Like something's going to have to give. Because you got to remember, when this team is fully healthy, they're miles over the salary cap. So something's going to have to give. Something has to give on this, especially if they miss the playoffs. And I'm not saying they're going to, but it is a distinct possibility right now that the Vegas Golden Knights don't make it again for the second year in a row.
0: Well, I think, well, here's a problem. Eichel, no movement clause. Stone, no, no no movement clause. Carlson, modified no trade. Marchessault, Smith, Kessel, modified no trade. Uh, Petrangelo, no movement clause. Martinez, McNabb, modified no trade clauses. All your big ticket guys are protected. They hold the power. This team is going to be screwed if they have to try and move players.
1: Ah, when's the no move clause gotten in the way of Vegas trading a player before?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they actually got called on it the last season, so dad, not
1: <laughs> exactly. It, it's,
0: it's crazy um, how how many players have clauses that are going to keep them there. Like they they're, they're going to be in a lot. Their cap hit as of today is ninety six million dollars their projected LTIR use is 13.8. And that good
1: could thing go we, up with Mark Stone.
0: Good thing we have a salary cap, right? Like, what the hell's the point? It's uh, so glad we lost a couple seasons over that. Not that one. Yeah, there's. exactly. <laughs> yeah, there, there's been a lot of surprises so far this year, Trev, and definitely a lot of disappointments. And we get to watch... Two of those disappointments for 82 games this year. And yes, I don't think it's going to get really much better for my team. Hopefully, it does. I mean, I am not all, you know, as some fans want team tank for Bedard. Um, if you think an unproven 18 year old is going to save your franchise and make them cup contenders in a overnight, good luck. But uh, it's a hell yeah, it's, of a
1: building block, though.
0: It, it is um but we've also seen how those building blocks can take a long time to to produce success so uh, mcdavid still has no rings neither does eichel and those were two massive building blocks that uh, those guys were supposed to be austin matthews doesn't have any rings either so it doesn't always work out that it, you eventually get success so it's interesting times we're coming up also on the trade deadline and Little over a month in a bit, so we got that to to get ready for and watch teams get dismantled and the strong get stronger. But that's our uh, around the boards for this week. Let us know what you think. What do you guys think is the biggest disappointment and biggest surprise so far this season? Hit us up on uh, Twitter. Trevor's at BleacherCon One. I'm at the BleacherCon Two. That's our show for this week. Don't forget to check out Belly Up Sports online. BellyUpSports.com. Check out all the podcasts and all the articles on all the different sports of the world. That's our show for this week. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Thank you everyone.